Hi everyone, just want to put a little disclaimer out there that this episode is going to be dealing with, I want to say, the fetishization of disabled people, but also a lot of talk about disabled bodies. So I just want to throw it out there in case this is a trigger for anybody. You might want to skip this episode. It is a little bit controversial, but I am also trying to uncover sex work and disability as a whole and trying to see if there's any positive or negative approaches to it. So please bear with me and take this episode with a grain of salt and do your own research additional if you need and hope you guys enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka or formerly known as Kimchi on stage. I am no longer dancing. It's the pandemic. All clubs are closed over here. Um, I am a digital content creator, also a civilian worker, which is another topic right now because I'm hating my job, but (laughs) that's okay. (laughs) We got to do what we got to do to survive. So uh, enough about me. I do want to bring on a guest today, which I think is an interesting topic. Really, honestly, a bit controversial, if I may say, uh, that borders on the line of fetishization. I am bringing on Raphael Hot Rod, who is a sex worker based in Colorado. Is that right? That's right. Okay, perfect. And um, he's going to talk to us about sex work and disability. And we're going to go into some topics I honestly did not know existed in regards to the devotee community. We're going to talk about how you can navigate sex work Uh, with a disability and the stigmas that might come with that, the challenges that may come with that, and how Raphael is dealing with all of this. So Raphael, I don't know much about you. I just know that we are in a a Reddit forum (laughs) and I like PM'd you and I thought your profile sounded really interesting. So I just pretty much snuck into your DMs and was like, you need to be on my show. Um, <laughs> yeah. Pretty I was, much. I was excited. Yay. Um, yeah, so I, I think that I had posted something in that forum about pricing and just getting advice on, like, my pricing and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. you messaged me, and I was like, oh, this sounds really cool. <laughs> so I'm grateful that you have me on. Thank you. I am super grateful that you have taken the time to record with me. <laughs> It's a yeah. lot, lot of back and forth, but we've, we're finally here, so I'm super stoked. <laughs> Definitely. Me too. I'm happy it worked out. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I butchered your intro, so if you have a better intro for yourself, because again, you're a complete stranger to me, but can you tell the audience who you are, what you do, anything pretty much in your own words on your own terms? Yeah. So I am um, a creator on OnlyFans. That is primarily where my work focuses and it's kind of housed, I guess. And so it's been a journey that I've been on since about April, I think early April this year. Okay. Um, during quarantine is when I started my OnlyFans account and I've been thinking about use, doing it for a long time. And mm-hmm. I've been kind of playing with that idea and really trying to um, 
understand like if I was serious about it or not because right. you know a lot of people talk about starting an OnlyFans yes <laughs> like so many people talk about it and then they have it for like a month and then it doesn't work out <laughs> yes. and they don't really promote it and so it was April when I decided like okay I know how I'm going to promote it I know how I'm going to like market myself I guess and I actually do think I can do this okay um, so that's when it started and I do have, it is a side job right now. Right. So I do have other um, work, like I work nine to five. And I won't get into like what that is, but it's a very normal job. (laughs) Um, And so uh, I also have kind of grown up doing a lot of advocacy within the disabled community. Yeah. So part of the reason I'm trying not to come forward yet with my real identity so much is just that I am also at this time writing a series of children's books. Oh, wait, what? (laughs) I didn't know this part about you. (laughs) I'm writing a series of children's books based around disability and, you know, how to engage with kids when they're young and the stories are all about my life and everything. And um, so I just am trying to keep these worlds separate, even though I, I don't believe it's bad to do, you know, only fans and be a children's book writer i think right you can have both careers and as long as they're not as long as you're not pushing your only fans on children oh, uh, God, no. <laughs> i think that you're you're okay and i think a lot of people might take offense to it or find it wrong but um i honestly feel like being able to represent disability in a way that's like sexually empowering Mm-hmm. is actually important for those disabled kids in junior high and high school. You know, if they, so many people, as you're developing sexually in high school with a disability, you feel so different. It's right. a really, it's a really hard time to be disabled in high school, I think. Um, okay. And so I, I, I told some people, you know, like if I, inspire someone to like love their body more and to that that's what I want you know and, I, yeah. and I've experienced messages from people all over the world who are disabled who are just coming out and saying like I uh I saw your content I like it and I'm just so grateful that you're showing people this side of sexuality and I've been so nervous to show it or I'm like Mm. I'm insecure about it and this just makes me feel really good and so if you know I'd never want to push these things on people under the age of 18 but if there's people out there that are struggling with their sexuality and they're young and they know that there is someone out there who's even a porn star you know (laughs) with a with with a disability then for me at that age I would have been inspired yeah um whether I was looking at that content or not just knowing that that person exists and that having a sex life isn't something that's out of the realm of possibility for me, that would have been instrumental when I was 16. Yeah, for sure. Because again, like there's there's no representation there or maybe there's very little. Like I honestly don't really know. Yeah. Right? So, very little. Yeah. yeah. So um, I don't know. So that intro kind of got into a lot of things. But, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I started my OnlyFans and started promoting it and it does primarily focus on fetish toward disabled people which right. is, you know is a, is 
people who have a fetish toward disabled people, they're called devotees. Right. And so I've learned a lot about that world before all of this. I guess I was in some ways judgmental of it. Um, oh, okay. Maybe not before I started, but in the last few years, I've gotten more accepting of it. Okay, there's so and... many questions here. <laughs> I have so many yeah. questions. Okay, I can... know. So where do you want to start? How do you want to start this? Yeah, okay. Why don't we rewind a little bit? And if you can kindly let the audience know, if you wanted to talk about your disability. So I know that you have spinal muscular atrophy. Yeah. Did you want to, maybe we could start there just so people can kind of understand and kind of get to know you a little bit better too and how that would relate with sex work because disability is a huge umbrella and there's so many different kinds of it. So sure. let's, why don't we, why don't we talk about that if you're comfortable speaking to that? I would love to. So, so I have spinal muscular atrophy and um, I have the type two version. So as the numbers get bigger, the more severe the um, diagnosis is. So there's spinal muscular atrophy. One, oh, I'm sorry, I messed up. As no, the numbers right. <laughs> get bigger, the less severe they are. Oh my so, gosh! Spinal muscular atrophy type one um, definitely affects kids who are infants, and they are lifelong diseases. Uh, they are genetic. Wow! Uh, but when I was born, and in my early childhood. People with with type one didn't live past the age of two. Oh my um, gosh! And then there is type two, which is what I have, and I'm kind of teetering in between type two and type three. So okay. the main reason that I'm labeled a two is because I never walked. Um, oh my gosh! But if I was able to walk even a little bit, yeah. I would have been a type three. Type three. So okay. I'm a high functioning type two. Okay. Um, and there's not like a genetic test that you take. That tells you if you're one, two, or three. That's all really done by um, observation and assessment. And assessment, so right. it's a little bit, um, there's a little gray area there. Okay. Um, so I'm, a, I'm a categorized as a high-functioning type 2, and then there's type 3. And type 3, a lot of times those people, they do walk until they're 6 or even older. Okay. So my disease... Basically, my brain communicates to my nerves, okay. uh, but my nerves don't communicate to my muscles. And oh. so my muscles can't activate and they can't build strength. So I progressively get weaker over time. And oh, wow. if you're familiar with what ALS is, mm -hmm. that is an adult version of my disease. And my disease is the pediatric version of ALS. Oh, um, I didn't know those so, two were related. Yeah, they're very, very similar. Um, it's just that ALS comes when, you know, you're 35 you're to 50. And then right. a lot of times people with that disease, they don't live much longer than five years. Five years would be a long time. Oh, wow. Um, but with the pediatric side of things, the progression is a lot slower. So mm. um, when I was diagnosed, uh, they did give me a life expectancy of 12. Oh, my gosh. But with all the different medical advances that are coming out and how good of care I've been uh, in. I, there's not really a life expectancy anymore. Oh, um, okay. It's changing quite a bit. So I couldn't even tell you. I've never, I haven't been given one. I'm almost 30. Wow. Um, and so that's really kind of an arbitrary number. Right. And it was a lot more relevant in the past. And now people with these diseases are just living so much longer to where 
I'm sure the life expectancy is probably shortened. Right. Um, but we don't really have like a figure, I guess. Um, right. Okay. But the disease, yeah, it like it makes me weak all over. So it doesn't change my ability to feel my sensations there. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change anything cognitively. It's just that I can't use my body that well. Right. So my legs from the waist down are pretty useless. I can wiggle my toes and that's about it. From a, the waist up, you know, I can feed myself. I can type on the computer. Right. I can hold my phone, drive my wheelchair. Okay. But my abilities are pretty much from elbow to hand. Oh. Um, and that's kind of where my ability is. So I have caregivers that help me with everything from right. household work to hygiene and helping me to the bathroom, to showering me, putting me to bed, wow. cooking. So so they're around <laughs> the clock then? I say like a living? pretty much. Um, yeah. As long as I'm in my wheelchair and I'm set up for the day, I can be alone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more that like, I would say there there are some days where they are 24 hours, but then there are a lot of days where they're 22 or 23 hours or okay. shorter. It just depends on kind of what my schedule is that day. But as, if I'm going to be doing anything like getting ready or something, um, yes, they would be here. And so right. if I'm alone, then I'm probably just working on my computer. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Oh, my gosh. This is such a heavy disease. I haven't talked about any type of disease or disability on the show. Just a lot of mental mental disabilities yeah. so this is all new because this is all like this, this is very physical so this affects you in every way so wow that's there's so many questions there like how do you find a proper caregiver do you ever feel like you need alone time or do you ever like seek privacy and stuff like i these are just questions i have i am just curious about yeah so um they are questions that i I'm always trying to figure out myself, actually. Okay. <laughs> um, so there's not a rule book to how to have this disability. For me, when I was 18 is when I took over doing the hiring of my caregivers from my mom. Oh, okay. Um, and I was going to college, and I was like, you know what? I don't like the fact – I was still living at home. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't like the fact that all my friends are going to parties, and right. I'm not um, – because who wants to take their mom to a party in college? Right. Um, and so then one of my caregivers at the time, she was like, you know, Joe, I bet you a lot of people in college would want a job where they just take you to parties or work nights. And she's like, why don't you just start hiring for that? And so I did. Oh, cool. So, That's so true. Um, yeah. So I, my hiring process was very not routine and not um, <laughs> conventional so I would interview people and they'd be like okay I can I can teach you how to help me to the bathroom and how to shower me but what I need to know is whether or not we get along yeah because I'm going to be taking you out with friends are you okay with being around drinking are you okay with being around this and blah 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 and I was always very upfront and it mm-hmm. was like I just ended up finding groups of people and caregivers that were not conventional. They were they were there to 
do my care, but that was a small part of their job. Their job was also to just kind of assist me in doing whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. And so, you know, I developed a really strong relationship with my caregivers Mm -hmm. throughout college. And it was really fun because, you know, my caregivers were kind of a group of friends. And then they each had their own group of friends. And their friends, their friend groups would, like, adopt me. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. And so it was really, like, this nice community because I would hire people based on, like, hey, my friend wants to come work for you. Um, <laughs> That's so cool. And so I ended up having this staff of people that was, like, all on my college campus. Um, we all had class together. Or if we didn't have class together, I had classes with their friends. And then we would hang out on the weekends, and it was really great. That's um, awesome. That was that in college. <laughs> uh, most of my hiring has been through, you know, a few years ago it was Craigslist. Mm. Just job postings there. Yeah. And then I started to use Indeed. Okay. Um, and Indeed's worked out really well. It's a bit expensive, but it works out really well. Right, yeah, because um, you need to pay a fee for that to, like, post yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... You have to pay for it and, well, you don't have to pay for it, but you have to pay for it if you want better results. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so my biggest challenge with finding caregivers is finding people that I connect with. So like Mm -hmm. I said, I can teach someone the tasks of the job, but I can't teach them how to get along with me. Yeah. Um, You have to have a connection. It is. And it's a really personal job and you're around them a lot. So Yeah, for sure. You want someone that you vibe with. I always have like a, a, it's like a mixture between friendship and working. And so I, you know, in my ads, I put on there because I'm gay. I put on there that I need them mm-hmm. to be, you know, LGBT friendly. Right. Um, and that's really all I put in the ad. Um, but I do say the duties involved helping me with my daily tasks of living as well as helping me um, engage in my community. So, right. The job is, like, really anything that needs to happen that day. It changes all the time. Yeah. If I'm hanging out and being lazy, then that's what the job is. <laughs> if I'm busy and doing public speaking, then that's what the job is. If I'm going to work, then that's what we're doing. And so um, it's really – I look for people that I just get along with because they get to be put into so many different scenarios that I just need someone I get along with. So Absolutely. I've been lucky to find that. You don't always find it, but when you do, it feels like you hit a gold mine. Um, <laughs> I bet. Yeah. And so I, <laughs> you know, I, it is an intimate role. It really is. And so you build relationships that I think are different than ones you would build with others yeah. who weren't, you know, wiping your ass. <laughs> uh, but like wiping someone's ass is a different type of bonding. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I do build good relationships with them and I, we have to have a lot of trust between us, and it is interesting. It's not always easy, and it's not – I'm still learning, so. Yeah, yeah, of course. Everything is like a work in progress, right? So, again, every day is a little bit different. But I think yeah. we have your, your caregiver, Tanner, listening here as well. Hi, Tanner. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so great that you're helping him as well with this interview. So thanks for setting this all up. Um, yeah, if you want to ask Tanner a question too, you can. Totally. <laughs> Up to you. Might have to save it for the end. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, let's go back on topic here too. So I know you mentioned that you do a little bit of public speaking and some speaking engagements as well. Like I know that you, like I watched one of your TEDx TED Talks as well, which I found really interesting. Can you quickly speak a little about that and when you decided to, I, I guess, open up and just embrace your disability? Yeah, so I have done public speaking for a long time, since I was very young. And it really started where it, at this point where my mom and I would go to fundraisers or we would, you know, go to these events and they would ask us to talk. And my mom and I would get up there together. And my family has always been really comfortable in those types of settings. Mm-hmm. And I would say that my family is pretty charismatic. We would get up there and we would talk, but my mom would always start to cry. Oh. And it was so embarrassing. <laughs> oh, so no. I eventually, at the age of like nine, was like, all right, I think I'm just going to do this by myself. At nine? Because, yeah, because I was like, I just don't want to um, <laughs> be up there with you while you're crying. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I started to just kind of take over doing it on my own. And it grew. And um, it became something that I really love. And so I've been able to do it um, in a lot of different ways and Mm -hmm. supporting nonprofits and supporting um, different communities and um and it and what really was eye-opening to me is you know I know we're going to get into it later but a lot of the stigma around disability is um Mm -hmm. it's just a very taboo thing almost and there was one talk I did for Planned Parenthood that was all about access to reproductive health care for disabled people mm. talking about um, sexuality and disability. And after doing it, I, I left that and I was like, oh my goodness, that was the most comfortable I've ever felt in a talk. Wow. Um, and it's because I was able to talk like I normally would, you know? Right. I was able to talk about what it's like to hook up with someone off grinder, what it's like to go to your doctor and ask for an STD test. Does your doctor believe that if you're disabled? Um, And it was just like, it was so, there weren't the guidelines that I normally was presented with when I'm doing talking for nonprofit work. And I was really up there and just able to say what I wanted to say. And I felt like it was my best talk. So. Yay. That's awesome. Yeah. That's when I really started to think about, like, okay, if that felt so comfortable to me, then I need to listen to that, you know? Yeah, and follow that, follow your gut. Yeah. Follow that feeling for sure. Wow. Definitely. Well, hopefully you're feeling comfortable on this podcast. <laughs> I definitely am, yeah. Okay, good. Because <laughs> we're going to get into some more topics as well. So obviously there's a huge stigma with disability. And like, where do you think that comes from? Because I, I remember, I don't know if you watch Law & Order SVU. But uh, sometimes, yeah. Oh my gosh, I used to be a big fan. I mean, I still am, but I remember seeing this episode where they had a disabled girl on the show, and I can't remember what disease or what kind of disability it was, but it was one that uh, I feel like it was, I feel like it might have been autism or something. Yeah. But they're like, she 
had a secret boyfriend and she was being sexual with him and her parents were just like in denial like why would she ever do that and they were just trying to I guess quote-unquote protect her and stuff too by like preserving her innocence and preserving her childlike features and I thought that was like really disturbing do you do you feel anything in relation to that like people always wanting to protect you because of your disability so this might be a good i don't know question for tanner as well maybe yeah um, tanner you can respond (laughs) to i would say for me so i think that comes a little bit just from my family dynamic Mm, so my family is a very like both of my parents are in the medical profession okay um and so sex was never I don't want to say it wasn't a bad topic. It was more of a, like, a logistical topic, you know? Okay. Um, like, my mom definitely has more... My mom and dad, they are pretty... I think... I don't know if conservative is the right word when it comes to sex, but they're okay. they're not like, oh, it's the worst thing in the world. And they're also like, I don't want to hear the details of your sex life, you know? So that, they're kind of like... <laughs> They're okay with it. They know that their kids have sex. They aren't uncomfortable if we mention it or whatever. But if we were to get into the nitty-gritty details of our sex life, my mom would be like, "Uh, you need to shut up. (laughs) I don't want to hear that. So that's kind of the dynamic. And so growing up, it was never something that I was like, I didn't think I would get in trouble if I talked about sex. Mm -hmm. But... It was something I always felt like I could ask questions about medically, right. but not like about the actual pleasure side of sex. You know, I didn't right. feel comfortable going to my mom or my dad and being like, okay, like, how do I hit on someone? <laughs> you know, or like, or that. And so, um, but my family was always, they always did raise me to be as best they could, like, pretty normal. Both my sisters are able-bodied. They're Mm -hmm. both pretty, like, they're both beautiful. Yeah. And so I was never out there, like, needing to be protected. I've always been pretty good at advocating for myself. Mm -hmm. I've always surrounded myself with people that have my back. And so in elementary school, if some kid was bullying me, it was never something I had to fight. Yeah. (laughs) It was always my friends that were the ones that would yell at the kid you know and so um <laughs> that's awesome I was always just integrated very well and so disability for me was never something that I saw as like I did see myself as in a wheelchair mm-hmm. but it honestly didn't matter to me in public school because everyone that I graduated with almost or a large majority of the people I graduated with yeah um had been with me since kindergarten and oh, so okay. there was a really strong understanding of my disability from day one and so it wasn't until I went to college that I was like okay people here don't know how to interact with me as much as people used to yeah in the community that I was used to so I don't feel like people tried to protect me so I told you that my caregivers and I have really strong relationships they are friends Mm -hmm. and I think that within the disabled community or the gay community online hookups are really normal yeah yes um they're very very normal and within the straight community 
they're like normal-ish. I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. But when you tell a straight person, like, oh, yeah, I had some dude come over. I don't know his name or anything. And um, he blew me. And then he left. Um, people are just like, what? Like, right, okay, yeah, like, yeah. I got that. You know, they're just like, okay, that's a bit insane, you know? And so in college... I really wanted to have those hookup experiences. And mm-hmm. so when I started to, I think my caregivers were kind of on the edge, like, is a serial killer being invited over? Um, okay. You know, yeah. what do we do? Like, I think for my caregivers, they were always wondering, you know, how do we allow him to have the freedom to invite someone over or the autonomy to do that in the privacy and also how do we make sure that this person isn't a serial killer right um and so (laughs) there were some times where i would have someone over and i remember one time in particular i was having fun with a guy and my phone kept going off and it was one of my caregivers okay and i didn't really think about it and i didn't really answer it oh my god because i was busy and then like an hour later i answered it and i was like what like what's up and she was like, um, we thought you were dead and Travis is on his way over to check on you. Oh, my God. Oh, and and uh, she's oh like, no. and, and this other guy's on his way over to check on you. Oh, my God. Um, and, so, and then I was like, I'm fine. I'm alive. I was just having sex. Um, <laughs> so they did look out for me, but I yeah. was never told not to do it, I yeah. guess. I guess it was just like a little bit like of a level of concern there which I understand but again like as you said it's just like when you're hooking up like when I used to hook up (laughs) on tinder and stuff way back in the day I mean they're all strangers that's true how is that different it's true and like and you just don't know and so yeah it was never like protecting me as in I shouldn't do it Mm -hmm. or people shouldn't you know, via me sexually. Yeah. It was always just like, if I was going to do it, how do we make sure that it's safe? Absolutely. And, okay, I guess we'll try to transition over into sex work because that's another topic too. And I feel like there are a few different layers there. So did you want to, yeah. let's, tr- I guess, yeah. Did you want to go, because um, you already explained a little bit on how you got into sex work. And that was something that you were thinking about doing, but you finally took the plunge in April. And that's mainly online sex work via OnlyFans? Yeah, I haven't done anything in person. Okay, gotcha. Okay, yeah, if you want to speak a little bit about about your work there, I guess, shooting content, any challenges around that? Yeah, sure. So for years I've been in disability groups on Facebook mm-hmm. and prior to that I had I knew nothing about the world of disability fetish right um, and so I would see messages that people would post like oh man I had a devotee contact me on Instagram and they were a lot of times really angry um, oh angry and and I was like what is this devotee like what the hell is this yeah and so someone was finally oh there are people that fetishize disability And they are turned on by my wheelchair or my, you know, prosthetic leg or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot I've learned of different subsets or sub 
genres, I don't know what you call it, yeah. um, of the of this fetish world. So overarching is kind of the world of disability okay, um, and the world of devotees. Right. But amputees have a major portion of that. Really? Um, people who are paraplegic or quadriplegic, okay. people who break their arms and need casts. So that's called the caster community. What? Um, okay. Yeah. So there's a whole fetish out there of individuals who are turned on by people in casts. Like you broke your arm and you're in a cast. Right. And that is what gets them off. So Interesting. You can go to Instagram and you can type in caster. And you'll see a bunch of accounts pop up like really? um, Bob Caster or something like that. And that means that that person is turned on by casts. And so they're on Instagram just looking at photos of people in casts. Or the same thing, you could find someone named Bob Wheels. And a lot of times, that's someone who's turned on by wheelchairs. I had no idea that this existed. (laughs) This is wild. I've learned a lot. I've just learned a lot. So after hearing that there was a devotee community i started to ask people like what is that about yeah and it was always presented to me in like this toxic wrong like creepy way mm-hmm. similar to like a pedophile i was know? just gonna bring that up i was yeah, literally seemed, about to say that <laughs> that's how it was being talked about okay and for me i was thinking to myself like yes i think it's not something that i'm like, I am not turned on by someone's wheelchair. Yeah. I am not turned on by someone's crutch or their cast. I am turned on by a person. And at the same time, I, it's reasonable. We, we're okay with men saying, oh, I want to find a girl with big boobs. Mm-hmm. And they're going to fetishize their boobs. Right. Um, or someone who's into, you know, like larger people and they're chasers. And yeah. they, they're interested in them because they are larger like all of those things while they're kind of different Mm -hmm. they're all a lot more accepted they are yeah and I was just thinking in my head like why can someone fetishize someone's weight but not my wheelchair yeah that's such an interesting comparison I feel and going back to what you mentioned earlier with the comparison with pedophilia I think there is a comparison there because it, it almost seems predatory. Like you're... Sometimes. Yeah, like you're preying on those who can't help themselves is how, I guess, most yeah. people would kind of view that. So... I, mean, I think that comes from the misconception that disabled people can't help themselves. Right, right. Um, and the fact is that there are people with Down syndrome who can legally consent to sex, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, you know, I like the same rules of consent apply to disabled people as they do other people. So right. if you are cognitively able to consent and you are of consenting age, there's no reason you shouldn't be allowed to have consensual sex. This makes sense. Um, Absolutely. The gray area I'm not familiar with is when there is a cognitive disability that doesn't allow someone to know the consequences of choices that they're making. Right. I'm not an expert on that type of disability and sex, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, there is a lot of 
stigma around educating those individuals on sex, mm-hmm. which is tough because if you're not educated on sex, whether you can consent or not, you don't know when someone is being predatory towards you. Right. And so there is a lot of controversy towards not educating people on you know what is okay and what's not okay and if something doesn't feel safe or if something feels wrong even people who can't consent need to know that it's okay to say something doesn't feel right or something feels wrong mm-hmm. um and at the very very minimum they need to know that they need to know like what sex is so that they can they can understand when someone is touching them inappropriately um, yeah because if you didn't know that that was sexual, you wouldn't know it was something that wasn't supposed to happen. Right. You know? Yeah, no, um, that makes sense. So there's a lot of different layers of, of that. But for me, and for people with my disability, mm-hmm. cognitively, we're fine. Okay. And so I was just thinking, you know, I, I don't really care, I guess, if people fetishize my disability because... I fetishize big biceps and <laughs> nice dicks yeah. and like tattoos or whatever else, you know? And yeah. So I'm not like, I don't necessarily have a fetish, but I don't judge people who do. Right. Um, and so then later on, as I did more with my public speaking, I did start to get messages from individuals who were, just kind of, like, messaging me out of the blue, being like, hey, like, you're so sexy, or whatever, and I was like, okay, this is, this is just interesting and different, Um, (laughs) and then they started to say things like, I would love to give you a shower, or I would love to be your caregiver for a day, Oh and I was like, that's so, that's so weird, (laughs) Um, and I learned that the fetish comes from or a lot of times the fetish comes from wanting that intimate connection with someone. So we talked about how caregiving is a really intimate relationship. Yes. And so I've learned that a lot of times people are fetishizing the closeness, I guess, of a caregiver and a client. I see, I see. So it's more about the bond. It's more about the relationship it's more about the intimacy than it is the actual act of showering someone. Um, I get it. Okay, this makes sense to me. Yeah. This makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. Yeah. And I've asked people before, like, how did you start getting into, you know, being attracted to people in wheelchairs? And Mm -hmm. some people will say, oh, I had a wife who got in a car accident and then she ended up being in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And so I loved her, and so then I ended up loving her wheelchair. And our relationship changed when I had to help her to the bathroom and I had to help her shower. We became so much more close Mm. that, like, it became something that they desired in a relationship. I see. Okay. Um, And I think that makes sense. I think we don't always know where fetishes come from and they don't always need to be explained either. No, exactly. Um, And I feel like, and I'm so glad that you broke that down for me because I was totally having a a little bit of a hard time trying to understand because I already had this negative aspect coming into it because I was like, oh my gosh, how do I how do I view this and how do I digest this information? But the way that you broke it down makes it a lot more approachable and digestible. And yeah. I guess, like, 
acceptable, quote unquote. Yeah, and I think, I think with people, you know, there's like, I think the people who are, um, you know, the people who are interested in casts, mm-hmm. they are, they like the idea of like being immobile, and so that's kind of a dom sub type thing. Yeah. So that's a little bit different. And then, I then I think that's kind of where that comes from, and then. There's the people that like the, they like paraplegics because they might have muscle spasms and they think that it's kind of hot when they have muscle spasms. Interesting. Um, or they think that like someone using a catheter to urinate is hot. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are people who have, you know, piss fetishes or whatever. Right. And so it's just a whole other layer to everything. But what I like about it is, I, I really don't have this fetish, but what I think is normal is there is this fetish that a lot of people have toward, like, a nurse and a patient. Right. The client um, and, that's, and that's the service provider. That's all types of mainstream porn, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. And so it's just kind of a different way of depicting that same fetish. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely um, makes sense. Yeah, so I... I don't know. I, over the years, I've been contacted by a few of these guys, mm-hmm. and it just kind of dawned on me, like, oh, this is becoming a theme, and I've been active on Grinder and on Scruff yeah. and dating apps, and I always kind of cropped my wheelchair out. I always would tell people after a few days of talking to them, mm-hmm. and I didn't have the best luck with getting guys, because when you're talking to someone and then they tell you like, Oh, by the way, I'm in a wheelchair. Even if they're okay with wheelchairs, it's just kind of a turnoff mm. to, to have something hidden. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I understand that. Cause like, for example, I mean, this is not, I mean, this is kind of comparable, I suppose in, in the, in the aspect of hiding information. But like when I used to be on dating apps too, and like they'd hide a huge part of their life. Like I have kids. Yeah. Like, I just feel like, why would you hide that? Like, I feel like that's something you should be proud about. That's something you should, that's information that you should share personally as a person that's like looking and seeking someone to whether it is to hook up or to have a relationship or anything. I feel like that kind of information should be communicated because no one likes surprises or bombs like that. You know what I mean? And so one day I, I was just like, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to put my wheelchair in my picture. I'm not going to crop it. I'm going to say something in my profile, like, kinky dude in a wheelchair, whatever. (laughs) Um, And actually, my my name on there, because a lot of times I get asked if my dick works. When people are always, like, one of the main questions they ask is, like, hey, can you have sex? Does your dick work? So I made my name on there. Yes, my eggplant works. (laughs) Um... And my wheelchair was on there, and I got a lot of responses. Really? And I was very surprised by the responses I was getting because they were a lot of times individuals who would say something like, like the confidence to do that was just what turned them on. For sure. Um, and they never thought about themselves with someone in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. But seeing my profile made like sparked something in them to message me because they were like, whoa, this person's being really like confident about his wheelchair. He's really throwing it out there. Yeah. And 
I ended up having like a lot more sex. I ended up getting a lot more action from <laughs> doing it that way than cropping it out, which is what was so baffling to me. That's awesome. Um, and so I was like, wow, this is like, this is really the way to go. Being as authentic as possible is what's helping me here. Absolutely. Um, and then that helped me get a lot of confidence. And I just had a lot of people message me and say, I've always thought about being with someone in a wheelchair, but I've never actually gone forward with it because I've never seen someone, like, they've never really had the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so it was just like, oh, there's more to this story than I thought. So then the idea, I just was on TikTok and whatever, and I was like, wow, everyone is starting in OnlyFans. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like the new hot thing to do. And... (laughs) But everyone who's doing it is that you see normally. They're they're your like normal hot people. Mm. And I was like, but even if I were to get fifty people paying ten dollars a month, mm-hmm. that's five hundred bucks, you know? Yeah. And so I was just kind of thinking, I don't want to do this, and I'm not going to try to be leaving my job. I'm not going to try to make so much money that I don't need to subs like you know don't need to subsidize with other income like mm-hmm. i just want to see what happens if i do it and yeah. i want to test this theory that people would buy videos of me getting showered or me doing my daily routine or whatever you know interesting and it worked <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so uh it is now november mhm and I have thankfully paid my rent a few times from it. That's excellent. Um, <laughs> Good job. <yeah. laughs> um, and I'm pretty proud of myself just because I have I've made it to the top eight percent, which I know is not like the best, but to be you know a disabled creator in the top eight percent. That's incredible. Um, I feel pretty great about that. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> it's been an interesting wild ride. I don't know what else to say other than it's just been, oh, it's been quite the experience. Yeah, um, for sure. Like what drew you into sex work? Because I know that you wanted to do this for a while, but you had hesitations. Was it because you're in a wheelchair? It's because you have disability that you thought maybe people won't want this? Or maybe it was the idea that, yes, people would be interested in buying content Well, so what drew me to sex work in general was I started to hire escorts a long time ago. Okay. Like six years ago or something. And it was because I like I wasn't having a lot of luck on Grindr. I was I guess I was having a lot of luck, but they weren't people that I really wanted to hook up with. Okay. I was just I felt like I was making a lot of like concessions in you're not someone I find attractive, but I really do want to get off. So, like, sure, come over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to feel really kind of just, like, gross about that. Like, wow, I'm disabled. I can't get anyone hot. And it was, like, this really dark time. And so then I started to – I kind of found a few websites where you can get in contact with escorts. And I just was, like, in that, like, almost I – don't, I don't know if I'd say desperate, but, like, I just would go out of town and I'd Mm -hmm. be like, I'm out of town. I'm going to hire an escort. Mm -hmm. And when I traveled, I had 
very few of my caregivers traveled with me. Okay. So they kind of had to be the top caregivers, I guess. And mm. so those were usually the ones I was closest with. So yeah. I had a really good relationship with them, and I'd be like, I'm going to have sex. And we developed this whole system about, like, how it would work. And we called that group of caregivers who I would travel with, who I would feel comfortable kind of sharing that side of me with. Yep. We called them my sex workers. <laughs> they were the workers that I was willing to, like, share my sex life with. Yeah. And so usually when I would travel out of town, I would hire an escort. Mm-hmm. And it became pretty normal for me. And then I realized later on, there's a lot of stigma around hiring an escort or a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Um, there is. And I was like, but I don't care because what it actually did was it like taught me how to have sex. Yeah, um, seriously. And it was a really big learning opportunity for me because when you hook up with someone on Grinder. For me, I'm used to that relationship where I pay someone to do something for me. Okay. I'm, I'm used to that relationship with my caregivers, and I, it makes me more comfortable to teach someone what I like if I know that I'm paying them. Yeah. And I think there's probably a ton to unpack there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I ended up coming to terms with the fact that like I feel comfortable paying someone to have sex with me because then I get to tell them, without fear that they'll be, like, annoyed, mm, like, what right. I need and what I like and what I want. Yeah. Because it's more of a service. And so I was like, yes. I don't want to only have sex with prostitutes or escorts, but it was like a, they were always like a test run for me. So oh, okay, interesting. if I did something with an escort or a prostitute, then I would know how to do it with somebody else who wasn't. Okay, so it's almost like a practice run, sort of. Yeah. yeah, and it was like it was teaching experience. me that my body, it was teaching me that I could have good sex. I think that a lot of times, people feel so much guilt when the sex is bad. <laughs> they feel like it's their fault. They mm. feel like it's something wrong with them. And the few times that I did have bad sex, I was like, "Wow, that's because I'm in a wheelchair." Oh. And I then kept realizing, like, no, I actually am capable of having good sex. If the person is willing to understand how to have sex with me. Yeah. Okay. But if, but if somebody comes in and they want to have sex with me, like they would cross athlete, you know, in <laughs> a frat, they're not going to have sex with me like that. It's no. not going to be the same. It's going to be different. Yeah. Right. And so I learned, I wanted to do it because I wanted to, have those experiences and show myself like I am capable of having good sex. Mm-hmm. I have proof. I just had good sex with an escort. So right. if I have bad sex later on, it's not always my fault. And I think it's really important for people to know that bad sex is not always their fault. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like a two party thing. And absolutely. It's not necessarily that it's the other person's fault either. It's just, it's just like, you just have to find the way to have good sex. And so that's yes. how I started getting involved with sex work because I would hire these guys. And there were instances where it was not so great. And other instances where I was like, wow, this person is really actually helping me. And 
I've always heard that sex workers are like psychologists. <laughs> and In a way are, we are. You know? <laughs> um, and I started to kind of become friends with some of them. So cool. And they would follow me on Instagram. I would follow them a couple times, you know, the escort would come in and sit down and chat with me and my caregiver first. That's awesome. Uh, and it was just, it became very normalized because you do on Grindr, you, on Scruff, you get a lot of hate messages as well of when course. you are disabled. Oh, um, I mean, I think a lot of people get them. So I don't want to say it's just a disabled thing because mm-hmm. I think that there's a big problem with hate messages on those apps anyway. For sure. But being somebody who is sexually empowered on an app Mm -hmm. puts people in a position to where they have to look at themselves and say like would I sleep with this person would I not right and if you're threatening their judgment of themselves and if you're making them like look at themselves and say no I actually don't want to sleep with you because you're hot like that's where a lot of those messages come from Mm. and I've had really, really mean messages out of the blue. Oh, no. Um, like what? Just, if so actually share. just this last week, I got on Grindr again because I got banned because I had my OnlyFans link on there. Oh, oops. <laughs> yeah, so I got back on and this guy messages me. He doesn't have a profile pic, doesn't have anything in his oh, profile. Oh, God. Classic. And Yeah, and all he said was, I would not touch you. And I didn't look at his profile. I didn't message him. I didn't tap him. He just decided to do that out of the blue. Oh, my God. And I was like, and then he blocked me before I could respond. Oh, so cowardly. Classic, classic troll. And then it's such a troll. And later that day, I got a message out of the blue again on Scruff. Someone I don't know, someone I've never looked at or messaged or whatever, that literally just said, you should kill yourself. What the fuck um, is wrong with people? I don't know. I don't understand it. And Oh, dear. It, <laughs> it really does fuck with you. Those things fuck with you all the time. Even though you know it's wrong and you know yeah. that it's a problem that they have, you can't help but understand that, like, somebody with abs and a nine-inch dick and a chiseled jawline is probably not getting those messages. Yeah, um, unfortunately. And so you can't help but, like, compare yourself to somebody. When you get those messages, it's really hard to not take them to heart. Yeah, um, that's difficult to process sometimes. It is, and especially when you're, like, down on your luck or whatever, and yeah. then you get a message like that. It, it is very fucked up. Yeah, completely fucked up. Like, wow. Well, it, it is. Oh, um, I had a message from a guy that just said, you look really weird. And I was oh like, God. okay, like, <laughs> what, you know? And and it, it's just really odd. It's yeah. so odd. And then they tried to turn it around, and they're like, no, weird's a compliment. Like, I like weird people. And I'm like, no, that wasn't a compliment. No, so, not in the context that he put it in. No, that wasn't, like, a context. You weren't saying, like, wow, I love how unique you are or empowered or whatever. Yeah. You're just saying, no, you're weird. Oh, um, God. So... I, oh crap, I don't know where I was going with that. I got stuck thinking <laughs> about these assholes. No, that's okay. People are awful. There's so many oh, just fucked up <laughs> people in the world, and I feel like they're just bored with their lives <laughs> yeah. and have like nothing better to do. Like, 
it just it frustrates me and like as sex workers we get messages like that too just horrible messages as well like oh my god what would your dad think about you and you know like who would want to pay for sex with you and just like stupid questions stupid statements i'm like well no one's gonna sleep with you really like (laughs) uh, well it's just it's all it is is that they can't handle the fact that somebody they assume to be less than them is more confident than them yeah or more brave or they're just upset that they aren't brave enough to do it. Yeah, and that someone's like able to take take control of their body and do whatever they yeah. want. They're usually uncomfortable with that. So, but that's another topic. <laughs> I can like yeah, go exactly. on forever so, with that. I guess um, um, I wanted to yeah, ask yeah. you about like shooting content and involving your your caregivers with that. How what is your process around that? Because it's obviously like a, a little bit tricky. Oh, yeah. So, um, like I said earlier, when I hire people, I hire them to um, be someone that I get along with. And so, I have ended up hiring a lot of gay men, Mm -hmm. just because we seem to flock to each other. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I don't know how that happens, but when I started OnlyFans, my entire staff was gay. Amazing. And for me... I actually really prefer having gay workers or caregivers because when I do want to have someone on Grindr over, it's not weird. Yeah. And, they have understanding. And also, we live in this, like, not large community. I mean, it's big, but it's not like a metropolitan city like L.A. Right. Um, so it's funny because when you pull up someone on Grindr, everyone at the staff meeting is like, oh, yeah, I slept with him. <laughs> oh, yeah, I slept with him. <laughs> um, that's hilarious. <laughs> Small so world. That's the kind of environment that we had where it was pretty, everyone was just kind of being a slut. I don't know how to <laughs> um, But when I started to tell people, you know, they, they witnessed it, and they, like, witnessed my sex life and they witness the things that are tough for me they witness like the ways that it affects me when I get messages mm-hmm. like you're weird or you look gross or whatever and my caregivers I kind of did have these moments where I was like I want to do this what do you all think and oh. everybody was in support of it and I we, we thought about it and we were like you know what out of everybody I'm pretty safe Mm-hmm. because I always have someone with me who is always sober, mm-hmm. always looking out for me. And so if I'm going to do stuff like this, I have what I need to do it. Yeah, and you're in good hands. Yeah, and right. so it was quarantine when we did it. We were all here. And so I think because it was quarantine, that gave us an opportunity to do it. And... It just kind of started out as, like, solo stuff. Like, I would, you know, it was very, very amateur. Um, <laughs> no ring light, no no anything like that. Got to start from um, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and it was just creating the, the profile and starting to post some things. Mm-hmm. And in particular, I have one caregiver who, you know, he is, I would say he's dabbled in sex work himself. Okay. He's one of my best caregivers, and he was a big part of it. You know, he was very supportive because 
him and I share the same view that sex work is work, yes. it's valid work. Absolutely. It's um, not just for sluts. It's <laughs> not just for people who are homeless. It's it's an it can be an art. It can be a craft. It can be. Yeah. It can be whatever you want it to be. Above. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so um, having a full gay staff helped me feel like less of a dirty whore <laughs> when I would have my grinder hookups. Because when you have straight guys over and you're like, oh, I'm going to have this dude off grinder come over, they think it's kind of weird. And then you absorb that judgment, you know? Yeah. But with my gay caregivers, everyone was like, all right, cool. We'll wait outside or whatever. <laughs> um, and so it was really kind of a team effort between me and him. Okay. And he was like, I'll film mm-hmm. a lot of it, you know, and we can come up with ideas and whatever. And so when I film content, I need someone to pull out my toys. I need someone mm-hmm. to grab my lube grab my, um, or undress me, or put me in bed, or whatever, or place the toy on me, or in me, or X, Y, Z, set up the camera, do all of these things, and I think it does, there is some gray area with, like, what is taboo and what's not. Right. Um, At the same time, I feel like it's important work to do. Mm -hmm. It has helped a lot of people, and... I think we all understand that there is some gray area, but if you're in open communication and you are actively talking about it, I think it's it's better. For sure. Um, that always makes everything better. Like, again, like just yeah. uh, outlining your boundaries, outlining your expectations, any kind of communication helps, really. Yeah, and... I do give him a portion of what I make because he does most of the filming, most of, you know. Like the back end stuff. I don't feel like it's a part of his caregiving job Mm. to do this. That's awesome that you do that, by the way. I give him a portion, which is, I think, fair. You know, there have been other people who have taken a photo here or there, but he has been pivotal in me being able to do this, and so he Mm -hmm. does get a portion. And it is something I want to do because... This wasn't in his job description. Yeah, and it might not have been possible without him to help exactly. you. That's awesome. That's um, admirable. And I, too. You know, I don't think that he. It's not like he gets a ton of money. It's not like either of us are making a ton of money on this yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wanted it to be enough to where it was like, okay, you are, you're not doing this for free. Yeah, like you're doing this because. One, it's there's a message behind it, yeah. and two, you're also getting something, even if it's small or whatever. That's awesome. So, we've done it, and the first month I did it was my highest ranking month or my highest um, grossing month. Yay! Yeah, and I think that it's just a small community of disabled sex workers, and so having someone new on the scene is good you yeah, know it's definitely beneficial you, you, <laughs> absolutely and so I think that what people enjoy is they they do come up with stories in their head like they all think that I'm having sex with every single one of my caregivers <laughs> that'd be good that'd I'm be a good not. porno <laughs> um, but like 
they have this fetish of my caregiver. So even if I do film with somebody who's not even a caregiver, sometimes I will post it on my OnlyFans and say, oh, look at my caregiver fucking me. Because <laughs> that's a part of the fetish. They yeah. want to see that. It's a part even of the fantasy. Even if it's not real. Yeah, it is for sure. Fantasy. It's all role play. So I, I, it's the role play. And I've learned that. And I've had to learn that. And like, it's been weird. But I love it. <laughs> That is such a cool story. I just, oh my gosh, I'm just so inspired by you right now. And that's why I'm just like letting you talk. Cause I'm like, wow, this is, this is all new to me. So, and I'm sure it's probably new for my audience as well. So thank you again for being so raw and so vulnerable <laughs> and just open and, and being able to just talk about this freely. Yeah. We need more discussions like this in everyday dialogue. We, we do. Yeah, I think it's just, uh, it's important. And I think the messages I've gotten from people all over the world, you know, literally from South America, from Asia, all over to say, like, I've had messages. And some of them, you know, they have been from people who are cared for by their parents. Mm -hmm. And they don't feel like they'll ever be able to have sex because their parents are their caregivers. Right. And they're just like, oh my gosh, like, you've taught me that I I can aspire to have sex. Yeah, and be a sexual being and, and that being okay. Yeah. yeah, disabled people are always seen as being asexual and not worthy of sex, and they're always seen as, like, you know, sex with a disabled person, it will be different. But that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it will be bad. Mm-hmm. But it will be different. And, and if somebody's not comfortable with it, then they don't have to do it. Yeah. Like, we're not out here saying you have to sleep with us. No. We're saying if you want to try something fun and exciting, here I am. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> yeah. I guess with that, why don't we move into some of the Q&A? There's a few questions that came in. Yeah. Okay. So how do you set boundaries in your work to weed out folks that are fetishizing? And I guess fetishizing in the, in the wrong and bad way. Being new, I haven't come across a ton of that. Oh, good. Um, and I and honestly, I'm learning what I think is bad and wrong. You know, like I, I think that I have to figure out where the line gets crossed because I have had people, um, you know, there. So hmm. there was a gentleman that wanted i had people pay me to get fed on camera okay and so he was like i want to pay you to eat a waffle (laughs) i'm not even trying to laugh at it but it's like kind of it's interesting i like that Um, like (laughs) i'm okay with that (laughs) yeah he was like i just want you to eat a waffle on camera and i was like okay i will i will eat a waffle on camera Um, (laughs) and so his big thing is like me getting fed Mm-hmm. And he did ask me to go to a restaurant and get fed and drool all over myself and make it messy and all of these things. And there was a part of me that was like, he's offering a lot of money to do, to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, part of me is like, I want to make that money. Right. The other part of me is like, I don't think I want to be... Yeah, and being portrayed in that way, I feel like there are disabilities that 
that that happens and yeah yeah for you that like that's a a rule that I can see you being uncomfortable with and not wanting to do that yeah. And then I, you know, he got, he got pretty angry at me and he was like, you're not making this video. And I was like, you know what? One, for what you're offering, like, I don't, I wouldn't do it for what you're offering. Yeah. And in talking about it with my caregivers, everyone was just like, that seems like it crosses a line between Mm -hmm. finding something sexy and like, me acting like a different type of disabled person. Exactly. And that's something that you're not. I don't care if I eat and it does get messy if it's just like a messy meal. But, you know, he really does like that. He likes seeing my caregivers wipe my face. So, Mm -hmm. like, if I end up getting, like, marinara all over my lips, whatever. But for me to actually act like I have a disability that I don't have, I think is where... I draw that line and I had to learn that because when someone's offering you a lot of money to do something there, there's a part of me that's initially like, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but eventually I just, I don't think I would be comfortable doing that. For sure. And I had to tell him like, I'm not like, I'm sorry, but whatever you're able to offer is not enough for me to be doing that. And like, yeah, I don't ever, like, me, me doing that is not worth it for a check. No, it's, it's like, it's mockery, and it's demoralizing, yeah. and I personally, like, ethically, I, I wouldn't feel okay no matter what type of money that is. Yeah, and I just, I just felt like I, and I, and I guess for me, it's like, he wasn't one of my nicest customers either, mm, and okay. he would he was very demanding, very much like wanted me to act as helpless as possible. Oh gosh. And that's what kind of turned him on. I don't like that. And it was weird for me because, and I I did do a couple things for him where he like, I like, he wanted to see me brush my teeth. So I sent him a video of me brushing my teeth and he goes, Oh, you did too much yourself. You need to have your caregiver do more of it. Oh my gosh. There's such a fine line between that. And that's what I mean. That's why I feel like this always gets a bad rap, you know? Yeah. And I did it. And then afterwards when I did it, I was like, I don't think I felt right doing that. Yeah. Like, and so I have done those videos where I'm like, I don't feel good about what I just did. And I need to really figure out if I'm like... Comfortable doing this? Yeah. And so I think I have probably... I, I mean, I know, like, when I started, I felt like I was wanting to just get, when people offered money, I was like, I want to just take the money. And mm-hmm. then after a month or two of whatever, I was like, I, I've told my friends to, like, I need to develop a brand. Yeah. And right now, I've just been trying to please everybody, and I need to not be feeling like I have to please everybody. Totally. And, and that's so important in, in sex work, because I feel like, oh, I'll pay this if you do this. And if that's not within what you want to do and your comfort level and your brand, don't do it. Yeah. And it's hard because it's money. And you're like, I got to pay rent. I got to, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the struggle's at real. the same time, yeah, this, at the same time, you have to think like, if I give him this video, am I going to be proud of it later? Yeah. And I've done videos I'm not proud of. Yeah. And I don't want to keep doing those. 
Wow. That's heavy that stuff. Hard. Yeah. That hard. Th- thank you for sharing that. So, yeah, you just have to, finding the boundaries is not something you can just say, like, these are my boundaries. They take a while to learn sometimes. Yeah, and to process too. Um, has anyone taken their attraction to disability to an uncomfortable level? I guess you kind of mentioned that last one. I haven't felt really like I've received any type of attraction or any type of messages that are like violent toward disability or, or whatever, like in a, in a, so I guess one thing that people like about my disability is I can't during sex, I can't move a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and personally I do enjoy that like dom sub role play Mm -hmm. um and i like it i think because for me i am really turned on by a guy who's not afraid of my disability to the point where he will be more aggressive in bed because that makes me feel like he's not afraid of breaking me or me being fragile or you know like i like i like feeling like a guy is um it's, it's, it just makes me feel good, I guess, because yeah. when people are tiptoeing around me and they're like, oh, does that hurt? Oh, does that hurt? Oh, my gosh, are you okay? That's, like, such... Like, it turns you off? A, yeah, that's, like, not a, <laughs> it's not a fun thing. No. So when there's a guy that, like, is confident enough or brave enough to, to flip me over or roll me over or lift me up or whatever it is, like, that's a huge turn on for me. And so... I have had guys who are like, oh, I am turned on by the fact that, like, I can move you and put you where I want and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like, as long as I'm, as long as that's what I want to. Right. Then I'm okay with that. And I haven't yet encountered people who are, you know, I feel like crossing a lot of lines. Okay. And I think part of it comes from the fact that with this fetish, the intimacy and the bond and the connection plays a big role. For sure. And so I've found that a lot of these people, they're not interested in doing this for power as much as they're interested in doing this to like build connection. And so like Mm. them doing something where they cross a line, I haven't met many people that want to cross that line because Good. <laughs> that's not part of the fetish, I guess. Exactly. It's not no. part of the... And, and some people will. I'm sure that there are people out there. Right. I haven't, in the six months I've done it, I haven't encountered a lot of that. Okay. That's good to know. That's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the last question here is, do you think that this is normal? And I guess what this person might be referring to is the devotee community in terms of the fetishization of disability. Yeah, so I think that the, I don't think it's normal. I think that there's a few people that have it. And so I think by definition, it's not widespread. It's not mainstream. So therefore, it's not normal. Okay. But I think that the concept behind it, between having a deep connection or wanting to be someone that a person depends on or... I think in a lot of ways it's healing for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. you know, they're trying to 
their, their wife died of cancer and they right. were their primary caregiver and they're trying to replicate sometimes the emotions that they felt like okay yeah who am i to tell someone that that's wrong you know yeah so no i don't think it's normal i don't think it's bad um personally i don't have that fetish yeah so i've had to learn a lot about it and the people that i have engaged with Sure, they've got some weird desires or some interesting <laughs> proclivities or or whatever. But, yeah, um, I don't think that those define like who they are as a person. Totally, and again, um, like any kind of boundaries can be crossed in any type of fetish. Yeah, which makes it bad. So, but yeah. the, the way that you've broken it down for us, I think. I can understand and I can relate to that. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and the truth is half of my fans are able-bodied and they're devotees and half of them are people with disabilities who are just oh. um, excited that like they are seeing someone like them For sure. do these things. Yeah. And so it's not just devotees that I'm, working with I'm working with people who have other disabilities and I'm working with people who are who never thought that they would be interested in someone with a wheelchair but they saw me post something and they're like wow I want to check that out and um so I think it it's just it's really all over I think that it's something that if people allow themselves to if they allow their mind to go there they might find that it might be interesting for them but I don't think it's bad. I don't want to shame people who have these. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is, so there, I told you there's a lot of subsets to this fetish. Yeah. And one of them that is where I think people have a big issue with is one called pretenders. Okay. So pretenders are people who feel they have, um, as far as I understand it, they have something that is similar to, like, body dysmorphia. Okay. Where they feel like, oh, I was not supposed to be born with a right arm. My right oh. arm does not feel like it should be attached to me. And I want it off, and I want a prosthetic. And I what? want to be disabled. Whoa. Yeah. Um, Whoa. So there is this whole group of people. The group of people that like disabled people that are interested in disabled people they're called admirers okay um but then there's also people called pretenders who actually pretend to be disabled my jaw is dropped like wide open right now i'm like excuse me what yeah and so there's people that message me and ask me can i buy one of your old wheelchairs so that i can pretend to be in a wheelchair why would anyone want to do that and I don't, Whoa. <laughs> like personally, I don't have the answers as to why. I yeah. haven't yet, I haven't yet been able to, it's something I haven't gotten very much into. I know it's there. Mm-hmm. I have people who follow me that are in that world. I don't know much about it myself, but I'm trying to understand, like, if, if somebody 
feels that way. Mm-hmm. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't have the authority to tell them that's bad or wrong. Um, yeah. Because I don't know the kind of trauma they've had in their life. I don't know. I don't know why they think that, and I don't know why they feel that way. But for them, that's their reality. Yeah. And, Interesting. And so I try really hard not to judge. However, it's a little tough not to. Yeah. And I don't have a lot of answers when it comes to that community. No. Like, I, I when people come to me with it, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to respond. I don't want to be, I don't want to shame them. No. I, I don't know where I fall with yeah. that one. And um, that's so okay. that's one that I'm really, really, really navigating. Um, and I think for me, you know, we see a lot of individuals who are, you know, take a, a trans person, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um if I was born a cis man and was assigned a male gender at birth, mm-hmm. but then later I started to identify with being a woman mm-hmm. and wanted to transition, I would feel like my dick wasn't a part of my body yeah. and it shouldn't be there. I and, get that. And I would feel like, okay, I don't want this thing here and it feels wrong it feels like it wasn't meant to be there all sorts of these things and so because I support the trans community and I support that decision for me I feel like what's the difference with Mm. someone feeling like their dick doesn't belong to someone feeling like their hand or their arm doesn't belong Mm -hmm. and I have no answers there I don't know yeah it's just a question of identity at that point right is what boils down to for me it's just like it's not for me to tell you that that's wrong because I do feel like if you don't feel like your dick is there or your boobs shouldn't be there then let's fix that for you right um and that's okay and that's not something that's not wrong but who's to say it's wrong with an arm no yeah I understand your argument. That's again, there's so there's so many eye-opening conversations and discussions that we've had in this episode and I'm going to have to do a lot of googling after this and a lot of research cuz this it's fascinating. It really yeah. is. So but before I let you go, where can we find you? So I'm on Twitter um, at Raphael Hotrod um, R A F A E L H O T R-O-D, same name on Pornhub and OnlyFans. Perfect. And there we go. I'm going to go ahead and plug all those links. They should already be in the show notes down below. But, Raphael, I'm so, so happy that you came on the show and we had this discussion. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited. Nice to be given an opportunity to talk about it. Thank you so much. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope everyone learned something today. So again, it's a huge topic. We're all going to have to do a bit of research (laughs) on our parts after this and be responsible. So uh, new episodes again, Strip by Sia on Instagram or my personal Sia Steph. And we'll catch you guys in for another episode next Sunday. Bye.
listening to Strip by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, artwork by Maria Bellandorama, music by Ted D, and photography by Ian Davern.